See, now I know everyone uh, that don't know me, I always have to have a pen in my hand when I write, so I, I can't do this. So I have to put the pen away, but I got a toy now. Uh, something that I'm going to share tonight. Can you turn that down a little bit, please? Something I want to share tonight or this morning about is something that I'm very passionate about. Uh, and I want to do a little disclaimer right at the very beginning is. Uh, I think, and obviously by the understanding of Yeshua with first century, first century eyes, when we're reading the Bible, everyone knows this, that this Bible is put together by Jewish men, except for one, Luke. So they're going to use Jewish mindset when they're writing this. So when we look at it, we look at it with 21st century mindset and we're trying to put our understanding into God's word so what I want to do today is look at it through a first century Jewish mindset of different things and right off the bat I definitely want to pray uh, because the last thing I want to do and I was talking to Ed about it is Something that I'm so passionate about, and I think everyone here is passionate about God's word. You don't want to mess it up. You don't want to say something wrong. But then that's where I want to cancel me out and let God speak through me. Uh, So I definitely want to pray. Uh, So God's word comes through me, and it's not my words. So if you want to join me in prayer. Generally, Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity. I thank, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word and something that, that you've put on my heart uh, that I feel so passionate about and understanding and in just a new way of looking at God. The, it's not a mystery that you've shown us on how to understand and interpret your word. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I ask that you cancel the man. And I ask that you just fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I can understand, that we can understand your word and how we can apply it when we're studying your word, your love letter towards us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so none of this stuff that I'm talking about is my own stuff. It's not. There's different authors that I read and that are, I'm very passionate about reading all the time. Joe Amaral is one of them. Uh, Joe Amaral has got a book called Understanding Jesus, uh, Cultural Insights in the Words and Deeds of Jesus. It's a really good book. It's not that big, uh, but it's a really good book to understand this. Also, uh, Louis Tverberg is her name. She's got three different books, and she's visited Israel. I can't tell you how many times she's visited Israel, and this studying for the last 20, 25 years. And she's, uh, one of them is reading the Bible with the Rabbi Jesus, walking in the dust of Rabbi Jesus, and sitting at the feet at Rabbi Jesus. I can tell you later, later uh, if you're interested in those books, I can, I'll go back to them and look at them. Uh, Ron Mosley, Dr. Ron Mosley is another one. It's Yeshua, a guide to the real Jesus and the original church. And what it is, is looking at the original church. When the original church was founded, uh, looking at how they set it up and with that Jewish mindset. And I talked to my timekeeper, uh, John. He says, as long as I get you guys out by two, I'm good. So, uh, so if I go a little bit long, it's not my fault, okay? His clock says two. So anyways, so how do we interpret? So how do we interpret the Bible? Okay, we interpret the Bible by who, what, when, where, and why. So Bible interpretation, basics, everyone knows, exegesis. We look and we take out of what the Bible says. We don't insert our own meaning to it. So that's why we got to pray and cancel the man. Cancel us, or the woman, sorry. We cancel us when we're trying to run. We want to know, what does God want to say to us? Okay, we have 66 love letters all combined right here. And this is designed for us to learn more about him who created us. So who? Who's the author? Who's the intended recipient? Okay, that's really important. Is that really bad feedback? Okay, so me, it's really weird. Anyways, just talk louder. Talk for... Okay, cool. All right, so uh, what? So we got who. So who's the author? Who's the intended recipient? 
what? What's the message being relayed? Okay, so what's the message? Where? Where's the situation taking place? This is really important. Is it taking place in a village, in the wilderness, or perhaps on temple grounds? These things make a big difference. Okay, so when? Okay, time period of the year. So what? Is it in the spring? Is it summer? Is it the fall? Okay, is it during a special event, like a feast or a festival? Like tomorrow, tomorrow at sunset is the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. So, which is important uh, because a lot of people prophetically believe that Jesus is going to return on Rosh Hashanah. And it makes sense. If he's fulfilled all the other first spring feasts, uh, Passover, unleavened bread, uh, uh, first fruits, and Pentecost, on the exact day, it would make sense that he's going to fulfill the last three on the exact day. But I'm not going to get into that. That was just a little fun thing I wanted to say. Uh, so it's very, and then why? Why is this thing being talked about? It's very specific. Why is the audience? Is it addressing a certain audience for a certain purpose? So who, what, when, where, and why are very important. Uh, so, oops, sorry. Setting the stage. Setting the stage is really important to understand the backstory. Sometimes the backstory is just as important as the main story in the Bible. Okay, so an example. I'm in the, in the kitchen. I love to cook. So I'm in there cutting up on, uh, onions, stuff like that. Or like my wife said, jalapenos. I'll admit, I've done this before. And you guys don't have to raise your hand because I know you've done it. You touched your eye. Okay? And then you come out of the kitchen. You're crying. And you're like in excruciating pain. And your wife's like, what's wrong? Something happened. The dog died. Or no, I touched my eye. <laughs> so, so understanding the backstory, she's like, Oh, really? You know what her, she would say? Suck it up. Uh, I love my wife. So that's what she would say. So understanding the backstory is very important to what you're trying to relay. So the authors of the Bible took for granted what... So understanding Matthew. Just take Matthew for instance. He's a Jew. He's a tax collector. He's going to explain things, but he's going to tell you this. Once he tells you this... You're like, wow, that's pretty cool. But what he's presupposing is this. Because you're Jewish. His audience was Jews. So he's going to presuppose you already know this. He is already taken for granted that you know this. So he's going to tell you. It's like telling a joke, but I'm going to tell you the punchline because you guys already know the joke. I'm not saying that God's word is a joke, but that's the idea. We, We think this is cool. It's like, oh, wow, that's pretty neat. But what would, if we knew this, how much more cooler would this be when you say the punchline? That's the idea. So, like I said, they took, it, took for granted. So with the understanding and the importance of getting the backstory correct, I want to take a look at a couple of events. Okay, everyone's familiar with the writing in the sand. And if you're not, uh, I'm going to get you familiar with it. So we're going to look at... Uh, If you want to turn your Bible, I read out of, uh, it's not the New King James, I apologize. It's the Christian Standard Bible, but all the the verses are up on the screen, so you'll be able to do it. So let's read. So we've got, uh, so it's John 8, 1 through 11. So, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple complex, and all the people were coming to him. He sat Excuse me. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They asked, they asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stopped stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Excuse me. Then they persisted in questioning him. He stood up and said to him, the one without sin among you first, be the first to throw the stone at her. He then stooped again and continued to write on the ground. So, seems pretty straightforward. They're trying to trick him. So why are they trying to trick him? Because they want to. He's already said exactly who he was in multiple different ways. So when we look at what the scribes were actually doing, okay, I, want to, I don't want to get ahead of myself. 
So what's important is we look at the backstory. So what is the backstory? Okay, let me get ahead. Okay, so what is the backstory? Let's take a look. Go back to chapter 7 and verse 37. Okay, and this is really important. So when we look at this, on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said to this, he said this about the spirit, those who believe in Jesus excuse me, we're among, or we're going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit has not yet come, or yet been received, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay, so we have the backstory. What is, if you go back to verse 37, so what is on the last and most important day of the feast? What day of the feast was it? So that's really important. We know that it was a Feast of Tabernacles, because the Feast of Tabernacles is the only day that has the last most important day of the great feast. So it's important to know when it happened. Verse 30, excuse me, 738, the one who believes in me, as the scripture said, will have streams of living water flow from him. So he's declaring that living water is going to flow from him. Well, that's pretty cool. Okay, but still, and then verses 40 through 52 talk about they're arguing, oh, who's this, who's this, and they're, they're pitting each other against each other. Here's what's really cool. So what happened at the time? What was going on the night before? So we know that morning in verses eight, uh, verse 2, chapter 8, verse 2, we know Jesus went up to the temple and he was teaching Okay? And we know where it was because they brought a woman. They were in the outer courts. So when he's out in the yard, because that's the only place women at the temple could go was the outer courts. So when they came to the outer courts, there's Jesus teaching, and they threw this lady down. So he starts, he stops what he's doing, he's listening, okay, and then he goes down and he starts to write. What's important is the night before. So what happened to the night before? At the very end of that was what's called the water ceremony. Okay, so it's a, it's a libation ceremony or a water drawing ceremony. So at the very end of the last day, the, two, the high priest would go down to the pool of Siloam with two clay pitchers. He'd go down there and he'd pick up water. And as he's walking up to the temple, water is sloshing. Living water was sloshing around. All right, so I'm going to scroll through real fast and get to 52. Oops. Let me go back. Okay, so it was a water libation ceremony. So as water is splashing back and forth, living water is being spilt. So then he goes up and he pours, say this is the altar, then he pours water onto the altar. And it's living, and it goes back, and it's referring back to this, Ezekiel 47.1, then he brought me back to the entrance, talking to Ezekiel, of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east from the temple faced east. The water was coming down from the water, or from under the south side of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar, what was flowing through. So if you read on, I mean, it's, it's the rest of the chapter, it flows down out of the temple, goes into the rivers, and feeds everything this water-fed life was growing amongst all the sides of all these rivers. So the whole time, so that's the living water. So I think at the very moment, God, it's cool. Sorry, I get, I get worked up when I see that because this is, to me, it's really, really cool. So this is uh, the time of restoration, the riving, or the rivers of living water. So that moment where in the, uh, the priests were pouring, what did Jesus do? In 37, 38, Jesus cries out. I think at that very moment that he is the living water. He's talking about the spirit, but the living water is flowing through him. And what did the Pharisees do? They booted him. They kicked him off the temple where he was. So they ran him out. Okay, that's cool. Not for the fact that they ran him out. But so then we look at this. So it's 37, we get the idea that Jesus climbs up or stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. 
The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have living water flow from deep within. So he's fulfilling a prophecy, which is cool. Next day, he's there. Let's look at, so what happened right here? At dawn, he's teaching, okay? They're trying to teach, or they're trying to trick him. Okay, what do they say? What do they do? They're trying to, and he's pointing, and he's writing on the ground. So he wrote on the ground again. So turn with me. Let me get through this. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I don't condemn you. And then as he's saying, those who are without sin cast the first stone. So because of membership, it went from the oldest to who dropped the stone first? The oldest. The oldest starts dropping stones down to the very newest member. So these guys are, they know they know what's happening because he just declared. These guys are the Pharisees. They know scripture. I can't say anything to Pastor Phil because he's going to say, really? Because he knows the Bible that well. Same thing with the Pharisees and the scribes. They know the Bible. They knew what Jesus did the night before, declaring himself to be the living water. Okay? It still comes, what was he writing in the sand? Okay. So we're looking at personal sin. This is personal sin from the Jews personal sin and their rejection from the night before. Okay? Turn with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, verse 13. So remember, they just kicked out Jesus the night before from the Temple Mount. Because what? I think at the very moment that the priests were pouring, he crawls up and says, out of me flows rivers of living water. Anyone who thirsts, let him drink of me. Gets kicked out. Next day, he teaches. What does he do? Okay. Sits down. It's like, to us, if it was our generation, we'd be going, oh, grab us. They're talking to him. What do you do? It's like, you grab your support. Oh, I got a tweet. Or you're texting. It's like, okay. Just kind of ignoring him. But he wasn't ignoring him. He was doing something very intentional. Jeremiah 13, or 17, verse 13. Lord, the hope of Israel, all who abandon you will be put to shame. All who turn away from me will be written in the dirt, for they have abandoned the Lord. Here's the fun part. The fountain of living water. So they just, the night before, John seven thirty-seven, they booted him off because what? Jesus declared, I am the fountain of living water. Water flows through him. what they just do? They kicked him out. What did Jesus do? He wrote their names in the sand. He realized, the, the priests and the scribes realized that they, their sin, from the oldest to the youngest, where's, where were their names being wrote? On the ground. That's what Jesus was writing on the ground. So that, I'm not saying dogmatically, that's what it is, but understanding the backstory. It's like one of those really cool moments when you're reading it. And like I said, it's not something that I picked up. It's things that I've learned through different authors and a different way of uh, studying the scripture. So the next one I want to look at is the seed of Moses. So who knows what the seed of Moses is? Oh, God, this is going to be so cool. Okay, so the seed of Moses. We can look at Luke 14 or Luke 4. Okay, so right here, this is the seed of Moses. This is actually in, uh, I have a hard time, Chorazin, I think it's how you pronounce it. It's just north of the uh, uh, Sea of Galilee. It's about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. So that right there is, yeah, I'm, I'm equipped with a pointer, so uh, beware. So this is the actual seed of Moses. Okay, in the temple. All right, so right there, this is the platform. So if we're, this was it, okay? So let's say this, is, this would be a Jewish synagogue. Up here is the platform, that right there. So you got a platform. This is where Jesus is speaking, okay? And then let's say back here, this would be the seat of Moses. So now you got kind of a geographical location. All right, so where did it take place? It took place, excuse me, it took place in uh, Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, so, this gives you an idea. Moshe, it's, a, it's a re, the Hebrew word for Moses. It's his name. So, this gives you an idea of what is this Moses seat. Moses seat may refer to the chair found in many synagogues that represents the place of authority, which a leader would sit. Uh, when they say leader, it means the rabbi of that synagogue. Or, Moses, because who, what? Moses is the one that 
brought the law. Uh, excuse you. Uh, represents the place of authority which a leader would sit in it to pronounce decisions. And we have, we see this in Matthew. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty one, and then also Luke 10, 33, or 10, 13, sorry. Uh, decisions which would carry the weight of authority of Moses himself. So the rabbi would sit in this chair and sit down and declare whatever. And Jesus actually said in Matthew to listen to whatever they say because when they say, when they're sitting down and they declare uh, whatever, that listen to them, but don't do what they do. Do what they say because these individuals, and we know the Pharisees, they never, they were hypocrites. They would say one thing, do another. They would tell you to do something, but they would do another. So he's telling them that whoever sat in that chair had authority. Okay, that's important. Or Moses may refer to, uh, in general, to a rabbi who teaches an authority of of this. Both uh, interpretations uh, suggest that such a teacher is speaking with authority of Moses. Okay, so we look at this. We'll read this and get an idea. Okay, so this is Luke 4, 16 through 21. What time is it? Okay, gotta go hurry up. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day. It's very important where he was brought up as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. And it's really important you understand where, that he found the place where it was written. All this is very interesting. Okay, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is what he's quoting. So what Jesus is quoting right here is uh, uh, Isaiah 61, uh, Isaiah 61.10, or no, Isaiah 61.1 through 2 and 58.6 is what he's quoting. That's what he's quoting right here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captivity or the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes, or all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Oh, you see that? Yeah. Okay, so all he did is read the scroll. Okay, understanding that in the Jewish culture right there, it goes all the way back to Babylon. They can't, the scrolls were so huge. I mean, big, big scrolls. And it was in a cart and usually carried around with a donkey. Okay, because they're so big, you can't just carry these things. You've seen these guys in pictures of in Israel, these guys carrying the big scrolls, right? These kids are lugging around these big scrolls. So they couldn't do that. So what they did during captivity is they took sections of the Bible or of the scroll, the Torah, and they said, okay, you guys right here, you guys memorize Genesis, okay? You guys, Leviticus. You guys, numbers. Sorry, but you guys got to memorize numbers. And then you're looking at Exodus, all the different five books. And on top of that, that is part of, that's the Torah, okay? So they had to memorize a Torah portion. So there's two readings, Torah portion and half Torah. The half Torah was from the, the prophets. So they also, they had to memorize it. And when it was your time, like he said, as was his custom, he went up to Okay, so he wasn't in Nazareth. He went up to Nazareth. Why? Because it was his custom to read. It was his family's turn to read. So what did he do? He read the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, turned around, and he sat down. And then, boom, all the eyes were on him. Okay, he hadn't said anything. He didn't say that last part that I didn't show you. That's all he did is sat down. Here's something that has nothing to do with my message, but this is really cool. I saw this yesterday. I wanted to look at This is a book by Joe Amaral, and it tells you every week and what they teach, what the Jews teach, that prescribed reading of every week. Okay, what did I tell you? Jesus went up and he, he read on this instant right here in Luke, Isaiah 61, okay? What do you think today's scripture is? The half portion, Isaiah 61. Is that cool or What? Okay, that's it. That's all I want to show with that one. It's just really cool. And I'll show you the book afterwards if you want. But that's just really, really cool because that's what it was. That was their portion. Okay, so that's the Torah portion. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So he sat down. All the eyes were on him. Why? Okay, this, then he began to say this. 
he began by saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So it's not just the fact that he read, excuse me, the eyes weren't on him yet. Well, when he read this, they're all staring at him already. And he's just sitting there. It's because he sat in the seat of Moses, which is reserved for the rabbi, which is reserved for Moses, God's law. So once he sat down in that chair, that's when he said, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So it's not only his actions, or not only his words, I mean, but it's his actions. He was very intent in everything he did. He was not only saying that I'm the Messiah, but where he sat says everything. So, like I said, only the rabbi of that church who has authority is allowed to sit in that. So he spoke with authority. So that was just a kind of a fun, fun little thing. So basically, so by his words and his actions, he was basically saying, I am the Messiah. Okay, and you guys know what happened after that. So, next, which is really cool. And you guys know this one. If it'll get there. Nope, back. Okay, so uh, the next one I want to look at is, it is, it's going to be here in a second, triumphal entry. Everyone knows this, okay? Everyone knows about the triumphal entry when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, okay? So we all know about that. Jesus had just performed the last messianic miracle. So if anyone knows what the messianic miracles are, Okay, so the messianic miracles are only the miracles that Jesus... So before Jesus came in, uh, came into the pictures, the Messiah, they were always looking for the Messiah. Always looking for the Messiah. And because from the inception of the Jewish people, they were always in some kind of captivity. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, now the Romans. And they just want out of this so bad. So they're always looking for... Excuse me. They're always looking for the Messiah. So, Jesus just performed the last of the Messianic miracles, raising Lazarus from the fourth day. It's really important. It's the fourth day. That's key to understanding uh, one of the Messianic miracles. And that, I, I might touch on it later. So, they're healing the leper, okay? Casting out a mute spirit or demon. Healing a blind person from born blind, Okay? And raising the dead on the fourth day. The Pharisees and the, and the scribes have already said that only the Messiah can perform those four miracles. Other miracles you can see because the common man inspired by God or empowered by God can do it. But only the Messiah can do those four. So whenever something like this happens, they're like, and they're looking. They're like, oh, who is this guy? All right, so the triumphal entry. Okay? So we can read it in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Okay. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage, excuse me, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say say that the Lord needs them, and immediately he will send them. This took place so that uh, so what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their robes on them and sat on them. A very large crowd spread their robes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, saying, Who is this? The crowds kept saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So we know the story. Okay? So how is it at that very moment that every, uh, on that very day, he entered the Jerusalem through the eastern gate that a huge, ca- uh, a huge crowd was gathered there? Okay? 
yes, he, the word that he raised Lazarus from the dead did get out. Okay? So these people were saying, oh, okay, who is this guy? Okay, and granted, what happened? Every time Jesus performed a miracle, or in fact, anytime anyone performed a miracle like that, the Pharisees and the scribes would send out a, a crew, an entourage, because they wanted to go inspect. Who is this guy? Test him, inspect him. Remember that word, inspect him, to see who is this guy performing these miracles. Okay, again, huge crowd gathered, Eastern Gate, Okay, so let's look at the backstory in this one. This was really cool. Okay, so where did the Passover lambs come from? There's one place. Anyone know? Bethlehem. Boom, Bethlehem. It's the only place the lambs come from. That's where they're raised. They're raised from, in Bethlehem. So the sacrificial lambs are raised and born in Bethlehem. So that's the only place they get them from. And Beth, Bet, house, Lehem, is bread. The house of bread. Okay? Who's Jesus? It's the bread of life. Words matter. Words matter in the Bible. Absolutely matter. The high priest would travel to Bethlehem to get the perfect, unblemished, unblemished lamb and carry it back to Jerusalem. So they'd pick out the cool little lammy, whatever, grab him, throw him over his shoulder, and then they'd walk. Why would they put him on the shoulder? Because they don't want him to trip, sprain an ankle or anything. Because it had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish and carry it back. Through what? The eastern gate. Very important. It came on the 10th of Nisan. So, four days prior to Passover. Okay, so going to the temple area, people would gather with palm, excuse me, palm branches and praise God. Okay, so what are palm branches? What's so significant about palm branches? Palm branches uh, are, in fact, a symbol of victory, triumph, peace, eternal life. Everything has, uh, everything has a meaning. They're singing Hosanna to the Lamb of God who has come and takes away our sin. Okay. So they're singing this. They're not intending and singing it about Jesus. We've got to understand that. It's a big thing. This is Passover. It's a big thing that they're going and getting the lamb and they're carrying the lamb because this is a lamb. This is a sacrificial lamb that the high priest just got. So they're all excited about it. So that's what they're singing. They're not singing this to Jesus. They're praising God that this lamb has came, that the priest went and got this lamb. But they're not realizing that they're fulfilling prophecy. Because Jesus did send the lamb. Because he's coming in right after them through the eastern gate. That's the cool thing. Okay, so he comes through, comes through with, he's basically on the curtails of the high priest following the entourage. Okay, so he had just fulfilled all the requirements, the messianic miracles, and other prophecies to be the Messiah. Okay, he's greeted by a crowd who are rejoicing because, like I said, sacrificial lamb. Okay. Jesus, the Lamb of God. John 1, 29. The next day, this is John the Baptist. Looking at it, John said the next day, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Is that cool or what? Okay, what is, what is Yeshua? Yeshua is the Hebrew word for Hebrew, Jesus' Hebrew name. Yeshua means salvation. Okay? What's really cool is in Zechariah, uh, I'll look at that. Let me see. Go back to Zechariah. Nope. It's forward. It's a new toy, so I apologize. Uh, so he takes away the sins. Okay, right here, Zechariah 9.9. 9. <clears throat> Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a fowl of a donkey. Zechariah 9.9. Do you guys realize that this happened to the ver- on the very, very day, the v- exact day that Jesus came in, four days prior to the Passover? The very day that this was prophesied came in on that very day, fulfilling prophecy. Okay, so Yeshua is salvation, riding in a donkey. Okay, so what? Jesus, salvation. Salvation came riding in a donkey. Again, words matter. The fact that Jesus rode a donkey rather than a horse is significant. Do you guys know the significance of a donkey versus a horse? If someone, if a king came into a country riding on a donkey, meant he came in peace. Okay? And people were looking at it as like, okay, I see King Josh. 
coming in, and he's riding on a little donkey. We're like, he's just passing through. We're good. I feel sorry for those guys. So they weren't worried about it. Okay, so when he came in, Zechariah 9.9, came in riding on a donkey. He's coming in peace. So that means that the king was just going to pass through. On the other hand, if that same king came riding on a stallion, on a horse, it meant that he was coming for what reason? Then I saw, Revelation 19.11, then I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True and he judges and makes war in righteousness. So, when he comes in on a donkey, he means peace. When he rides in on a horse in Revelation 19 or 19, means he means business. So words, words, words make a difference. Reading this and having a mindset of of a Jewish mindset, knowing, because 21st century men did not write this. John's going to, I'm going to pick on Pastor John for a second. He's a carpenter. He's a master carpenter. Okay, so his mindset when he's doing things, he's going to say things, or Chris as a musician, he's going to say things and possibly do things with that mindset as a carpenter. Uh, more than a carpenter. Or more than that. Yeah. Or a musician. You're going to say things and do things that have to do with music or whatever. So your idioms might come out as musical, carpentry, whatever. So these things absolutely matter when you're saying it. So does these words. So he's using the donkey. He's using coming in on a horse. They're using those personalities to write the Bible, which is really, really important. Okay, not only is his words, but it's the gate. The gate's really important. He came, he could have picked, I forgot how many gates there are, there's like multiple gates, around the entire temple mount. But why the eastern gate? Okay, two possible reasons. The eastern gate is on the road from Bethany, because remember, he just performed the messianic miracle, the last one, basically saying, guys, I'm the Messiah. So he just came through the last one. Okay, so that's one possible reason. And then if you look at uh, Ezekiel, so the eastern gate is on the road uh, from Bethany to Jerusalem, would make sense. It goes right up to the eastern gate. Or Ezekiel 44, the man then brought to me back toward the sanctuary's outer gate and faced east, and it was closed. Okay, what difference does that make? If you go on, after Jesus went through the gate, and you can look at it, we'll turn to it, but you can look at it in Zechariah 14. It says, once the Messiah or the Lord goes through the gate, the gate is sealed. Okay, answer me this. Is the gate sealed right now? It is sealed. Okay, and what they do, this is funny. This is actually kind of like hilarious. So they mortared brick and all that. Watch right outside. If you're looking on the temple, or if you're on the Mount of Olives, looking down on the eastern gate, what's between? You've got the Kidron Valley, and then you've got what's right in front? What kind of cemetery? Muslim cemetery. Because it would defile a Jewish man if he walked or touched it. So they're thinking, these guys are smart. It's like, yeah, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put brick. Because they, the, they know the prophecy. Oh, and we're going to put a cemetery. I'm sorry, my God's a little bit stronger than that. I, I think a cemetery and a few bricks and some mortar is not going to stop our Messiah. Because it says it will not be opened up until when? He comes back. So the gate matters. All this stuff matters when we start looking at Scripture, understanding the backstory. Okay. So, after the sacrificial lamb was selected, it was carried through the eastern gate. Jesus was carried through the eastern gate. The lamb was tied to the temple entrance for all to inspect to ensure that there was no blemishes and that it was perfect. Okay? Let's look at this. Jesus came to Jerusalem when? 10th of Nisan, four days prior to Passover. Jesus would brought to the temple... Okay? He was examined. He was inspected for four days. How many times do you think since his triumphal entry until his crucifixion, all those different times, 
that the Pharisees and the scribes were like drilling them, trying to catch them and all that? What were they doing? They were inspecting the lamb. Is there blemishes on this lamb? That's what they were doing. They were just trying to catch, well, yeah, they were trying to catch them, yeah. But they were fulfilling the Passover sacrificial lamb. They were inspecting him to see if there was any flaws in them. Okay, so he was examined by the scribes of the Pharisees, the entire Sanhedrin, okay, by King Herod, finally by Pontius Pilate. Okay, this is where it's really cool. So, after four days of being inspected or examined, he's brought finally to Pontius Pilate. Let me scroll through this real quick, right here. So this is, this is when he's talking, when Jesus is talking to Pilate. He's already been examined. He's, this is the last, last chance. Pilate says, what is truth, Pilate said. After he had said this, you know the whole, you guys know, you know that conversation that he had. And he said this, he went out to the Jews and said, and told them, I find no fault blemish for charging him. So who declared him it's just cool. Who declared him without fault, without blemish? Pilate did. John, being a priest, was able to pick from his, okay, so you know, John the Baptist, he had priestly lineage. So within, he had the power and the authority to pick the sacrificial lamb because a priest has to pick it. So he says, behold, there is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he picked the lamb by saying that. And then all this whole time, he's been inspected. And finally, Pilate says, there is no fault. I find no fault in this man. So he declared him without fault. So he was the perfect, spotless lamb of God. Sorry, that just really, to me, that makes it really, really cool. It makes it very, very real. There's a bunch more uh, that I don't have notes for. There's a whole bunch of different things that Jesus did uh, that were very intentional. So what I want to look at, this is kind of like a little teaser because I want to be doing a class teaching about different things, looking at the Passover, looking at all the different feasts. And it's kind of cool. Got a lively moment there for a second. I like that. So I think it's, you've got three and I want to clarify with, and John and I spoke, Pastor John and I spoke earlier, there's a difference between the Hebrew roots movement, which I'm absolutely opposed to, but what I do like is the Hebraic roots of our Christianity. So for anyone to say that they hate the Jews, let me see, I hit a button. To hate the Jews is false. Because, okay, was Jesus a Christian? Ooh, I got a smart crowd. I like this. No, he wasn't. Huh? He's Christ. Exactly. We, to be a Christian, we have to be Christ-like. Okay? So a lot of things, I've actually said this, and people are like, oh yeah, he's a Christian. It's like, what? He's Jewish. Come on. Our Savior is Jewish. So to say that you hate a Jew, you hate our Savior. So there's a difference. Could you study Hebraic roots of our Christian faith? Yes. My daughter... Uh, Phil did a message. Pastor Phil did a message. And we was talking about Judaism. We were talking about false religions and stuff like that. Someone got really, really offended. I'm not going to say who. Got really offended. Basically said that, that Pastor Phil called Judaism a false religion. And got really, really mad. We had a potluck. Just happened to have a potluck right afterwards. And just really mad. My daughter, bless her heart, just sitting there and just out of nowhere from the mouth of babes she just looked over and she goes Judaism's not false it's incomplete that's what it is Judaism the Old Testament is not false the Old Testament is not to be done away with because what did Jesus say Jesus said I didn't come to abolish the law I came to fulfill the law so should we understand and know about the Old Testament absolutely do we have to follow the feasts 
the seven feasts that God, these are not Jewish feasts, mind you. These are God's feasts that he appointed for us to follow. But we don't have to follow this. Could we? Yeah, sure, why not? I think it's, it's amazing seeing Jesus in the Old Testament and seeing Jesus, how he fulfills the Passover. It's amazing how he filled, fulfilled unleavened bread. He's without sin. How he fulfilled first fruits because he raised. And also how he filled, fulfilled Pentecost to the very day. So could we? Of course. Do I think we should? I do. I think we should understand that. I'm not saying it's going to be, oh, you're going to bring people to faith and stuff. No, but I think it's understanding the, rich, the richness of our faith. Understanding the richness of God's word. Because once you know the backstory, because remember at the very beginning, this, the punchline is really cool. But once you know this, it makes this so much cooler. If I can, one of my favorite authors, Joe Amaral, is, I love the way he teaches and I love the way he speaks. He calls them like wow moments. He's like, wow. Everything. So I'm quoting him. I'm not going to do that. But they, that, these, are, these are like wow moments. Like, wow, I didn't see that. Jeremiah 17, 13. What was Jesus writing? He was writing the, these people's names. Got you, Joe. Bill. Sorry, where's Bill? Sorry, didn't mean you. But so he's writing these people's names down in the sand. It, am I dogmatic about that? No. Does it make a lot of sense? Yes, because Jesus knew the Old Testament. Of course, he wrote it. Uh, so you go from could, yeah, you could. Should, yeah, I think you should. Learn about it, not practice them. Learn about them, because I think it strengthens our faith and understands how Jesus fulfilled all this stuff. He even practiced uh, Festival of Lights. What's another name for the Festival of Lights? Hanukkah. Did he worship or did he celebrate Hanukkah? Yeah, it says it. So I think we should understand it. But then it goes to must. Could, should, must. No, I don't think that. That's where you get into that Hebrew roots movement is that must part. I'm not into that. I think we should not practice it, but at least know a little bit about it. Okay, so real quick, I got just like say five more minutes and I'll get you out by 2.15. Okay, so the four messianic miracles. I already talked about it. So healing a leper, okay? And the leper, that's a cool one right there. People say, when you look at the word leper, there's lepra, there's leprosy, and leper. There's, they use the same word, but the root word, lepra, is, it could mean, uh, exe- uh, I hate saying that Eczema? Is that how you say it? I have the hardest time saying that word. It could be eczema. It could be uh, a zid, a pol- It could be just like uh, dry skin. It could be something like that. They use the same root word. Or it could be leprosy uh, where you're like, whoa, you're like, we can look at the two different, uh, Luke 17, 12, the 10 lepers. They yell from afar. And, Je- and Jesus being an observant Jew, mind you, okay? He is an observant Jew. He, he followed the laws. He didn't break laws because what kind of savior would he be if he broke laws that God commanded? Not a very good one. So he followed the laws. So he tells these people, yells from, you couldn't even smell. They had to be so far away out of town, they couldn't even be in the same, uh, they, they, they sat, what, downwind? Am I saying? saying it right? Downwind. You couldn't even smell because if you smell the leper, ooh, you're unclean. So he didn't even do that. So he yells at him. But then you read about, and then go, you guys are clean, go. And then you look at it in Matthew 8, 3, where this guy comes up to him and basically says, if you're willing, will you make me clean? And what does Jesus do? Jesus reaches out and touches him. And he makes him clean. Okay, well, that's not leprosy. That's just a skin irritation. That's like eczema or something, okay? So here's a cool story really quick about that. I'll try to finish it up really fast. Okay, so three times a year, I go like this, three times a year, uh, the Jews are commanded to come back to Jerusalem, okay? Do you know the three festivals that they're coming? They're required? Anyone? Okay, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Kind of like all one. Because it was like Passover is the evening, and then you got unleavened bread, and then you've got first fruits. It's kind of like bing, 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 right there. So that's one time. Pentecost, and then you have 
tabernacle. Those are the three times, the three different times that the Jews are required to go. Okay, so what are the biggest events, like the things that Jesus has done? I mean, obviously he was there. He's so intentional, and this is what's cool about it. He's so intentional in everything he does. All these crazy, miraculous things happens on what? These days where he gets, pardon my expression, he gets the the biggest bang for his buck because everyone's there. Not just his normal Sabbath day in the middle of the summer when you just got a few people. We've got thousands, hundreds of thousands of people going into Jerusalem to see this. Okay. So as they're coming in to Jerusalem, these individuals, they're caravanning in groups, 150, 500. They're all men. Uh, if I can quote Joe Emerald, he's like, ladies, can you imagine 500 men who haven't showered in weeks all coming into town? Not very appealing without deodorant. Not very appealing. So outside of, they had, I think they're called, they're mikvahs, they're pools, and they're, they're cleansing. So you come in, and because before you go, you have to basically strip down, get clean before you can go to the temple. So you get into the one side, go in, get clean, come back out the other side. And the way Joe Amaral explains it is there's a divider. So as I go down, uh, I can't touch this guy. Because if I go down, I come up the other side, this guy just touched me. He's like, oh, great, I got to go through again. So he goes through again. So you go through, get up, get clean, goes up into, into the city. Okay, you want to be that first person because you're running, okay? You're like, dude, there's like 500 people there who have been in the desert without deodorant for weeks. Okay, you guys get, my, get the drift. So they're running to the first guy, runs in there, gets clean. He's probably like holding his breath and blowing bubbles under the water. He thinks it's great. Gets out, he gets clean. Okay, then you got five, 10, 50. By the time it gets to like the 100th person, like he says, that's no longer water. I don't know what it is, but it's not water. So their idea, they had this, it's kind of like a cistern. And how the high priest would ceremonially, ceremonially, there's another word I hate saying, would declare this clean, he would take this little tap, let it drop. One drop, bing, make it all clean. And before that, they would take this like pool, net, whatever, skim everything. I'm just going to leave it to your imagination. Skim everything off and one drop, boom, water's clean. Okay, next 50, 100 or whatever. Okay, that's how they declared it clean. That was living water coming from. And it was just like when it was rainy season, they'd take the lid off, all the rain would collect. All right, so that's how they made the water. One drop, one drop of this water would make every, this whole bath. I still would want to be the first person, but it would make this whole bath ceremonially clean. Okay, so now let's jump back. The guy who says, if you were willing, you can make me clean. So what does Jesus do? He reaches out and touches him. Living water. Touches him. One drop, one touch. The guy is clean. That's just something fun. Um, so anyways, so we're talking about the lepers. Yeah, like five minutes and I'm going to get you out of here. Make it really fast. Okay, casting out a mute spirit. Okay, so the, the normal thing was when you cast out a mute spirit or cast out spirits, the thing was is, and you guys know the story, when Jesus says uh, to this uh, demoniac, he says, what is your name? My name is Legion because we're a mini. It's like, oh, okay, Legion, get out of here. And he throws him into the pigs, pigs go over, poof, dead. We've got a lot of bacon in the water. So with that being said, he had to say, what is your name? And he had to cast him out by name. So if you were a mute and this spirit created or caused you to be mute, and you can't say. So when Jesus says, what is your name? Can't say anything. The guy's stuck for life with that demon because that was the ritual. That's how it was done. Okay, Jesus comes into the scene. What does he do with the mute spirit? Casts him out. Messianic miracle. Only the Messiah could do that. Killing a blind man or blind person from birth. So let me scroll through these real fast. Healing a leper, casting out, healing a blind man from birth. 
Okay, healing blind man from birth. You can't. Supposedly that curse, when, you, when you're born blind, it was a curse because of blindness. It was a curse because of the parents. Because they were, it was adultery and stuff like that. So that curse was put on the baby. So you guys know the whole story and all that. It's a long story. And part of my class will be teaching that and stuff like that. But anyway, so that was one of them, healing the blind person, raising the dead, raising a dead person, man, woman, doesn't matter, on the fourth day. In Jewish tradition, on the third day, you can still raise someone from the dead. We're good. Third day, we're good. But on the fourth day, after a body's been in a tomb, okay, understand it's in the middle of the desert in Israel, really, really hot, okay? Imagine our, the old sanctuary, or gym, in the middle of the summer. Okay, it was pretty toasty. Imagine a body. It would get kind of funky after a while. Okay, and that's what they believed on the fourth. By the time it was on the fourth day, it was so funky that, you know what, the spirit left. There's no chance. But Jesus did. Okay, so that was the fourth messianic miracle. Okay, so two things really fast, and I've got like two minutes, and I'm going to get you guys out of here really, really fast. Okay. I still got two till 2.30, right? Okay, cool. All right. So the division explains that some people empowered by God can do these, but only the Messiah can do these. So, so they continually, continually examined him. So uh, they're under the Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Greeks, and, and the Romans. So do you think the nation was looking for the Israel, or when uh, they were looking for the Messiah, when he came? They were. They were so eager for the Messiah to save them from what? Roman control. Okay? They, didn't, well, they weren't looking for the passive uh, uh, savior for my sin. They wanted some guy to walk in here with a sword and start whooping some tail. That's what they were looking for. Well, that didn't happen. So they had two things in mind. They had Messiah ben Joseph. You can read about it in Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, and we already wrote it or read it. That's when Jesus came in on a donkey. He fulfilled that. The first coming of the Messiah, they were looking for two. They didn't realize they were looking for one that came twice. They weren't looking for that. So the Messiah ben Joseph, the peaceful reign of the Messiah, was already fulfilled. Okay? But he's got, like you said, he's, or like I said, he's coming back again. And I, sorry, I want to be on the right side of the fence when this something happens. So when Jesus came and performed these miracles, they were all saying amongst themselves, is this the one? So Jesus performed all four of the miracles. So they basically had two choices. They had, one, Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. Oh, sorry, let me get back. Uh, Messiah ben David is the other Messiah that they were looking for. Okay, and that's going to be the conquering king. And that's the one that they were hoping to come. Well, that didn't happen. So as we know, the past. But we know the future too, don't we? Amen. Okay, so you either have two choices. Deny the Messiah, whom they had been waiting for. They saw him. They performed everything. Declared clean. Declared unblemished. Did everything. And they denied him. Or they can deny and reject him because of the jealousy and have him put to death to prevent the masses from following him. And you can read about this in John eleven fifty. What did the high priest say? It is better than one man die for the nation. He didn't say it amongst themselves. God said that. So, with that being said, uh, I want to definitely look into obviously teaching a class and looking at some of these different things. And uh, I'm not saying, uh, uh, what do you call it, messianic uh, movement, anything like that. It's not. It's understanding Jesus in his culture, in his time. I think it's really, really important. So with that, let's go to a word in prayer. Or let's go to him in prayer. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Uh, what a wonderful time it is that we live in right now, knowing that we serve you, an unblemished, a perfect sacrificial lamb that if we were the only ones, if I was the only ones, for anyone in here was the only one alive, that Jesus would have died for you and for me.
I thank you, Lord. Thank you for the insights and the wisdom that you've put in your book to get to know you better and how we can incorporate your word and just and how we look at your word, Lord. We just thank you for this opportunity. And I hope that this just opens people's eyes to see just the richness of your word uh, that you can have these cool moments and realize that your word is so powerful and rich. We thank you, and Lord, we just pray for, obviously, what's going on in the world right now. I just ask that you just give us strength to know that your time is, uh, it's your timing, not ours. And we know that tomorrow is the Feast of Trumpets, Lord. And I just ask that you just things be safe in the nation right now. I ask that you just put a hedge of protection over our people right here, and our church in general, uh, and in the world. And just ask for their safety and their peace. And Lord, and I ask specifically for us that the peace of you will ride on us, that will be on us, that we know that we have a Savior that we worship, a perfect, unblemished, faultless Savior. I thank you, Lord, and I ask this in your Son's holy and precious name. And we all said, Amen. Thank you, guys.